0: You're listening to another AmbitiousEntrepreneurNetwork.com podcast, the voice for entrepreneurs and small business. Now,
1: onto the show. Welcome to
0: Industry Thought Leader Podcast. Stand out. Be heard. Influence. Want to influence real change with your message while become known as an authority in your field? Industry Thought Leader podcast will show you how. Now, over to your host, Anne-Marie Cross. Welcome to another episode of Industry Thought Leader podcast. We've had some awesome guests today, for those of you who are watching us on the streaming. And of course, today's guest on this show is uh, also going to be sharing some awesome topics, especially around how to make leadership your legacy. But before we dive into that and introduce our guest, just a reminder for those of you who are uh, interested in starting your own Thought Leader podcast, but you just don't know where to get started, the Podcasting with Purpose Immersive, this is a 90-day idea to launch your Thought Leader podcast, is starting soon. The doors are open. They will be closing soon. Pop over to podcastingwithpurpose.com forward slash immersive to find out more. And of course, if you're listening or watching to the replay and the doors are closed, don't worry. Pop yourself on on the waiting list and you will be the first to know once a show goes live. All right, without further ado, let me introduce today's guest. So joining me today is Dave Carvajal. Dave says, make recruiting and culture your strategic competitive advantage and make leadership your legacy. Dave is a builder of billion dollar businesses and he's the CEO of Dave Partners. He's a sought out advisor and consultant to public company boards, venture capital investors and CEO entrepreneurs of some of the most exciting growth companies in tech. Now on today's show, Dave is going to share how to recruit like a jungle cat and create business leverage he's going to talk about core values and how to make the right hires i know many companies struggle with this he's also going to talk about how to recruit like the greatest companies and hire the best people for your company and as we know our company is only as good as the team that runs it so welcome to the show dave
1: All right. Thanks for having me, Ruby. I really, really uh, appreciate you uh, having me on as a guest. And, and, uh, you know, I've been listening to your podcast for some time now. And so uh, this is quite an honor for me to be here with you today.
0: Oh, and we're just as honoured to hear you share your expertise. As I mentioned um, in the intro, hiring, recruiting the right staff in the right, um, you know, role is something that many, many business owners struggle with. And and as we know, we're only as good as our team. And, and so I'm glad that you're speaking about this. How did you get into this industry? Was it something that you were always passionate about? Was it through own experience? Take us back along that journey. Give us a a brief overview, if you would.
1: Yeah, great. You know, so I've been thinking about recruiting Anne-Marie for 25 years now. Uh, You know, the truth is I came from uh, pretty humble beginnings. Um, You you know, uh, my parents didn't have a lot of means. I put myself to college. Uh, I went down south for college. I came back to New York City and I just wanted to tear it up. And so immediately I took a job in the investment banking analyst program at Prudential. And I was on track to become a big investment banker. And, you know, quite frankly, um, uh, it took me a few years to realize um, they were all making a ton of money, which, frankly, at the time was very attractive to me. I discovered one of two things was also true. They were either absolutely miserable or they were the biggest jerks I'd ever met. Sometimes they were both. And, And so I decided early on in my career, I didn't want to be either one of those things. And I wasn't sure what I was going to do with my life. I ended up at the top recruiting firm in New York City. I never knew that the business of recruiting and headhunting had existed. And so when I got there, I said, wow, this is fantastic. They're going to find me a great job. Mm -hmm. Somehow I ended up speaking with the guy who started the company. He said, come work here as a headhunter, as a recruiter. I said, absolutely not. That's not even a real job. I (laughs) ran the other way. As I was running towards the elevators, he literally tackled me. And he said, look, what's most important, especially early on in your career, is that you surround yourself by the best and the brightest people you could possibly find. He had 60 executive search folks from the top schools with vastly, vastly more experience than I had back then. And so I figured, you know, maybe I could actually learn something here. Mm. He proceeded to explain to me that if I was willing to work hard, I could be really successful, at which point I said, look, stop right there. That sounds like a bunch of baloney. My dad would get up at four in the morning to come into the city to be a printer for as long as I could remember. The glory of hard work was instilled in us as children. Mm. If what you're saying is true about hard work, can I meet your top two people? And so uh, he proceeded to introduce me to them. Uh, You know, what I wanted to figure out, Anne-Marie, was I wanted to figure out what they were doing to be successful. And I would just figure out whether I can do that or not. It it turns out the way people were looking for jobs back then, this is like in the early 90s in New York City. The way people were looking for jobs was through these things called newspapers. And in New York is the New York Times. And that paper comes out at 6 a.m. on Sundays. Mm -hmm. And so literally it was a gut check as to whether I was willing to work that hard six days a week starting at 6 a.m. on Sundays. I was 24 years old at the time. It turns out I was willing to work that hard. And so I said to the guy, if you hire me, I'm going to be the best guy in this office in two years. And so he hired me on the spot. I put my plan to work. I worked my tail off. And by 9 o'clock on Mondays, when everybody else was coming into the office for the first time after being away at the beach, I had already made 200 phone calls and logged my entire territory into the system. And so it literally took me 18 months to become the top guy in the office. And it was fantastic. I was young, single, living in Manhattan, making the kind of money I wanted to make finally. I never would have left if not for something much greater, much bigger. Of course, it was the mid-90s by then, and I was talking to technology guys all day long. And mm-hmm. so it hit me that this internet thing was just going to change everything, and I had to be a part of it. And so, um, you know, as luck would have it, that, that same guy, you, you know, and back then, New York City technology really meant one thing, mm-hmm. and that was finance, And so I was pulling the guy out of Merrill Lynch, who had developed the fixed income trading desk using C++, Unix, and Sybase. And it was only because a week earlier, we'd picked up the same job order from Goldman Sachs, who needed a VP of fixed income trading technology, Mm -hmm. right? So doing that kind of horse trading all day, every day in the mid-90s, this internet thing I knew was going to be big because all that these technology guys wanted to talk to me about was whether I had jobs for them on this thing called the internet, right? And so- um, As luck would have it, that same guy who started that recruiting firm and had asked me to join, he was the same guy that asked me to leave the company. And I was fortunate that he did because he was leaving. And he asked me to come along with him. I was fortunate enough to be asked. And so we left to start a tiny little company called Mm hotjobs.com. And the truth is we didn't know what the heck we were doing. There were already 150 companies doing online recruitment. All we knew or what we thought at least was that because we were headhunters, we thought we could build a system for recruiting better than anyone else out there. And so we started doing it. I ended up running sales for the first year. I created a training program where I could take a kid right out of college and make them profitable to the company within two and a half months. Wow. I showed this to the CEO. He and I made a pact that I would hire two salespeople for every one non-revenue producer. And then I proceeded to hire the first 500 people at Hotjobs. I opened eight offices around the country, and we had 500% revenue growth every single year. In four years, we took it from 400000 to $96 million in revenues. We had 68% gross margins. And so it was a beautiful business. Wow. Um, You know, 9-11 happened. The whole world changed. Mm -hmm. We had already taken the company public. It was a $1.2 billion market cap. 9-11 happened. The whole world changed. We had so much momentum. We actually continued to grow the business. We got it up to $125 in revenues. The number one internet media company on the entire planet at that time was Yahoo. Yeah, And so in February of 2002, we ended up selling hot jobs to Yahoo. Mm. And it was fantastic. It was a glorious success in New York City. It was one of the bigger success stories. Uh, and uh, the truth is, uh, after that, I was a little bit lost, actually. Uh, mm. I didn't know what I was going to do with myself. Um, and so I'd say taken some time off. Uh, I went to the doctor three years later. Uh, and I was literally 60 pounds heavier than I am now. Mm. And I went to the doctor. And he said, look, it's really bad. Uh, I was pre-diabetic. He said, uh, you've got to start taking these drugs called statins because we've got to get your blood pressure, hard cholesterol under control. And I said, look, respectfully, I don't want to touch those things. What does plan B look like? And he said this with a look of impossibility on his face. He said, well, you would have to lose some weight, get in shape, maybe eat some green things. I said, I can do that. Let's make that plan A from now on. And so that's when I decided to get healthy. Uh, And so I got healthy pretty fast. I discovered triathlons and now I do Ironmans for fun. Wow. Like I'm doing my fifth Ironman in a week and a half here down in Florida. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And and so then uh, to make a long story short, then what happened is I called up some guys that I'd hired at that first company. And I said, look, guys, I am never going to do this, like not working thing again. I need to work. I need to produce. Mm -hmm. Let's go build something. Let's go do another company. And so we did exactly that. We started another business. Uh, That company, we were able to grow to about 400 people, 85 million in revenues. And by 2008, there we were again. It was the hottest game in town in New York City, one of the more successful internet tech companies uh, in in New York. Um, And then uh, after that, uh, that was a good five-year run there. Uh, Around 2009, I decided I didn't want to do this anymore for one company. I wanted to help as many as I could. And really what happened, Anne-Marie, is... um, I kind of found my calling. Uh, I'd done some work with um, this guy that I'm sure you're well uh, familiar with, a uh, gentleman by the name of Tony Robbins, mm-hmm. uh, you know, the yeah. guy with the big team. I, I have heard from him. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and so I did uh, coaching with him at the highest levels. Um, you know, I, I've been to India with him twice. Uh, and um, he really kind of had a profound impact uh, on my life. And, and, and what I decided, what, what I realized was that, you know, I had developed this unique set of skills that happen to be valuable to Mm -hmm. entrepreneurs who want to build billion dollar businesses Mm -hmm. and i love doing that i want to continue to do that but i want to do that so that i can really fulfill on the other extreme this thing that had become my calling and a mission which was to help promote literacy education and gender equality around the developing world Mm -hmm. and so i partnered with a guy named john wood from an organization called room to read Uh, And in fact, I wrote a book that came out last year and and 100% of the profits from the book are going to room to read. And John was good enough to write the foreword to my book. Um, You know, really kind of um, uh, have connected over the past few years and and he's a great guy. Uh, And and that's uh, basically what I've been doing for the last 10 years is uh, I generally get brought in by the chairman of the board, somebody at the board level who writes a big check. Usually it's 20, 40, 50 million dollars into a hot, high growth company. Mm -hmm. And they ask my team and I, to help build the boards and the executive teams of those companies. Yes. And so in the last, you know, 10 I, I've been thinking about recruiting for 25 years, having built companies with my own hands uh, as an entrepreneur, as an executive operator, uh, and also as a service provider to uh, investors and boards and CEOs that mm-hmm. are building some of these hot technology companies coming out of New York City.
0: Yeah, amazing. And, you know, as as you have um, shared that story, one of the things I'm sure that has been time and time again proven as being so very important is what we've said to have the right team in the right place. And, and the fact that you said you created a, a training back then where, um, you know, you would get someone up to top, contributor or or really contributing to Mm. the company within a short amount of time, because statistic-wise, it takes a lot longer, especially if they're younger. What were some of the key aspects of what you were doing or what you've implemented Mm. that you can look back on and say, look, these are some of the key elements, and I'm sure this really speaks into some of the things you want to talk about today. What were some of the key aspects within that training that enabled those young people to join and become productive so much quicker?
1: Yeah. I love it. You know, look, uh, at the end of the day, the three most important things uh, that a leader does that any business does, I think this is one of the greatest challenges for businesses is to get alignment around these three things, a common purpose, shared values, clear objectives. And that is the role of a leader yes. is to create alignment on those three things, a common purpose, shared values, and clear objectives. Mm -hmm. What I've seen, Anne-Marie, the the, the biggest differentiator between leaders who have enormous success and those that don't is their ability to recruit and build culture. Mm -hmm. And the beautiful thing, the great thing, the great news is that recruiting is actually a leadership competency. I think that everything bad that happens at a company is fundamentally a people problem. Yes, But on the flip side, I also think that recruiting is the greatest opportunity of any entrepreneur. Mm.
0: Recruitment
1: recruitment of the right people represents the greatest opportunity of any entrepreneur, and it's also the leading cause for failure. And so I implore, I actually believe that there is an A-plus player for every role in every company, and Mm. every CEO should know this. And on page 97 of my book, I Mm -hmm. outline a one-page blueprint, and I cannot emphasize enough the importance of getting clarity. Clarity is power. Getting clarity of mind Mm -hmm. on what the target looks like. Who is it that we're going to hire? I've had this conversation with some of the top venture capital uh, investors in in, in the United States, and by the end of the conversation, they said to me, Anne-Marie, Dave, you are correct. You're actually right. I secede the point. You are correct. And what I've said to them is I say, you know, look, Fred, you are sometimes doing more damage than you are good when you say to an entrepreneur, here's a resume of a great CFO. Because any two reasonably intelligent people could look at a resume and say, wow, this is a great CFO. But that's not the task at hand. The challenge, the task at hand is, is this a great CFO for us? Yes, Those two little words for us change everything because then it's about a process of defining, first and foremost, who we are mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. as a company, as a culture, as the values that we hold at the highest regard, Yes, what our mission is, right? So it, it forces us to really define who we are, mm-hmm. but then also get clarity on the role and get clarity on who we're looking for. And that's why I say that I think one of the most important things to do when you do this um, incredibly important function at at any company called the recruiting and hiring is that first and foremost, you have to create a blueprint. You have to create clarity and you have to create clarity around those three things that are the most important in business, a common purpose, shared values, and clear objectives.
0: Yeah. Do you think, even though uh, we're, you know, organisations may be aware of it, they're still uh, struggling to define that, or they may think that they have defined it, but it's not not nearly enough clear to define because it's still not um, attracting the right people and around that common purpose. Are we getting it right, or do we still have a long way to
1: go? Uh, you know, look, I, I I do believe that there is an epidemic crisis of bad hiring. Out there. Uh, look, at the same time, I will say that th- that no leader is perfect and no one has a perfect record. Uh, but I will say this: all recruiting and hiring is fundamentally about people. And the challenge is uh, you know they've actually done studies across any number of topics where they you know they've done kind of blind tests and the uh, average person, Thinks that they have above average intelligence on any number of things, and, and there are seven different types of intelligences, right? Well, one of the exercises that I do with with my CEOs, with with uh, my my client partners, is, and, and this is a very important exercise because it's uh, not only is it a good um, you know measure of humility, which which um, you know we, we can talk more about that, but I'm I'm very big on um, you know this idea of humility. I think I think it's the opposite of humility called hubris. Yeah. which, you know, gets companies and entrepreneurs and CEOs in, into a whole lot of trouble, right? Mm-hmm. And, and um, I think that when you use your gut, I think entirely too many people that are doing the recruiting and the hiring are, you, are going by their gut feeling. And, and I say, don't go by your gut because the data that we have on the most profound of human relationships mm-hmm. is that about half the marriages will fail. And, and that's about the same track record that people have when it comes to recruiting and hiring is about fifty percent. And what I'm imploring people to do is to learn about re- learn how to have a recruiting conversation, mm-hmm. so that you can get better because recruiting is a leadership competency. You can get better at it. Yes. But you have to study leadership as a student. You have to be a student of leadership, and and recruiting recruitment is a leadership competency, and yeah. so. Only by by really kind of becoming a student of of recruitment, of leadership, can you increase your chances from 50% to 90%. And I think that's the name of the game. Yeah. Right?
0: Yeah, so true. One of the things that I have often heard from, this is from people who were being recruited into an organization. One of the things that would often occur, sadly, more often than not, was that the the job itself was not clearly defined and that's one of the most debilitating things for someone that's just joining a company if you don't know what the process are or what the expectations are if it's not clearly communicated it's very difficult to do a well, job well done, if you yeah. don't know what that job is, and this, you know the goalposts continue to change, have you found that uh, that that also is an area that people struggle with because they know that they need someone? Because often, especially for entrepreneurs who are perhaps growing their business and maybe at a stage where they're still doing a lot themselves, they know that their their time is 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 limited. I've got to hire someone, bring someone in are not clearly communicating and then both people end up not doing the job well at all. So do you find also the clarification of the role itself is, is something that, that is not clear enough as well from, from yeah. business point of view? Yeah.
1: Absolutely. You know, look, uh, Emory, I, I think you've, um, you've very clearly articulated the reason why bad hiring is at an epidemic crisis level. Mm. Right. I, I think that, um, you know, entirely too many people with professional responsibility are winging it. Yes. You know, they're just shooting from the hip. They're using their gut, and um, and I think that that causes a whole lot of human pain and suffering. Mm. You know, I think it's painful for the companies and for the person. And um, oftentimes, you know, to make matters worse, hiring managers are reluctant to admit that they were wrong, that they made a bad hire, and so then they'll keep on a bad hire you know, for far too try long,
0: everything. try everything yeah. Try everything,
1: and, yeah. and, and, you know, both sides of the relationship, it's just an awful experience. And so let me add some, some kind of a positivity on this conversation mm-hmm. because look, I've spent entirely too much time with people that were experiencing this pain and suffering. Right. And, mm-hmm. and look, you know, what I say is, um, you, you know, you can do your own taxes, you can do your own haircuts, you can even do your own dentistry, mm-hmm. But oftentimes, the thing that will cause you the skull crushing pain, suffering, and brain damage is doing your own hiring. You know, I I think that you've either got to learn how to actually have a recruiting and hiring conversation and and get really good at doing this, or you need to work with someone, you need to hire someone who knows how to do this stuff. Right. And so, but let me give you a little bit of perspective on some of the work that I do with my clients that I think would be tremendously useful to this audience. Number one, the first thing that I do, well, one of the exercises that I do is I take entrepreneurs 10 years out. I take them through a process called organizational Mm self-determination. And I have the CEO really envision and visualize what maximum success would look like for his business, for his enterprise Mm -hmm. or her enterprise 10 years from now. What does that look like in terms of top line revenues, in turn of, terms of profit margin, in terms of what truths about the marketplace? We're going to be the number one player in this market or in this region, or we're going to be an entrant in this other category, um, you know these kinds of things, right? And, and you don't have to get super detailed, but give me the high level points of what that 10 year um, you know, destination looks like. Yeah. Once I have that, then I can reverse engineer and I can then bring them a little bit closer and see what that looks like at three years.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Then I can do that at one year. What do we want this business to look like? What are the strategic priorities for mm-hmm. this executive team? Why are we getting out of bed in the morning to come into the office to work, to do this? What is it that, What are the three or four strategic priorities that we want as a business over the next 12 months. Once I get clear on that, on those strategic priorities, then we can get clear on what does this person need to do to help us achieve those priorities? What does success look like for her? What will she get to accomplish as a CFO in our organization, Mm -hmm. right? So my blueprint has three parts, a top, a middle, and a bottom section. The top section is about the company. So it's Mm -hmm. about the culture, the values, And the mission of the organization. And sometimes I spend four hours with an executive team just getting clarity on that. Because if the CEO thinks they're going to be a ten billion dollar company, but the CFO thinks they're going to be a one billion dollar company, that's a huge gap, right?
0: They're just there somewhere,
1: yeah. (laughs) Right. So we get clear on the company, um, you know, culture, vision, uh, culture, values, mission. Uh, Mm -hmm. The middle part is about the role. The bottom part is about the candidate. In the role, it has three columns, and I start with the right-hand side because I like to begin with the end in mind, and I reverse engineer that, right? So we get clarity on those strategic priorities. What are the top three or four things that we're looking to do as an executive team, number one? Number two, what does success look like for this new executive that we're going to hire, right? What will they get to accomplish? Only by getting clarity on those two things, on the strategic priorities, the success factors, can we then get clarity on the third thing, which is probably the most important part for me, which is what are the core competencies then necessary for this person to be successful in their role? But now because we've also done the top part about the culture, the values, the mission, not only are they going to be successful in their role, but they're going to help us achieve our mission, Mm -hmm. right? And then the bottom part is simply uh, the top three or four things that are the must-haves and the Mm nice-to-haves, And just getting that clarity of thought, it usually takes about 30 to 45 minutes sitting down with the CEO, asking the right questions and, and filling out that blueprint. Now we've got a target. Now we can actually hit the target. And that exercise needs to be done before the very first interview. Mm-hmm. And because, you know, what most entrepreneurs do, what most hiring managers do is they need an accountant. So they just start interviewing accountants and they might interview five or six of them and choose the best one. And actually hire the best one and still only be at 60% of what they need. Yes. When you create a blueprint, the people that you invite in for an interview at a minimum are going to already have 100% of the technical needs that you require for the role. And then you can assess on the most important thing, which is culture fit. Yes. Right?
0: that that whole um, topic around culture fit and, and also expectations of the environment. And I would love your feedback being that you've had so much extensive experience, especially around human behavior, I think, and, and how uh, one particular person may have exactly the same technical expertise as someone else, yet their characteristics, their mannerisms are quite different. And it's around the topic of entrepreneurship and intrapreneurship. That's kind of a word that we're um talking about as as well especially going into 2020 because i've seen some people that have been working within an organization who is very much more an entrepreneur they're innovative they love to try new things whether it be around process or whatever it might be but because the environment in which they're working is not as progressive or it's not as quick they think well i'm going to start my own business but they're not actually an onto they would rather sit underneath within still a structure so we've got some incredible entrepreneurs who could support entrepreneurial businesses on you know entrepreneurs but then you've got entrepreneurs who who are looking for an entrepreneur, but as you know, and so I'd love your and you, you're smiling and nodding, so you know what I'm getting at, because yeah. this is a conversation that things that I've observed, and uh, share a little bit more about that, and and your um you're experiencing that because that makes that the attitude and you know, that's so important is, is yeah. how they are operating in the environment. Yes.
1: Yeah. Yeah. You know, look, you, uh, this is a great topic. Right. And and I think it's really at the intersection mm. of the difference between core values and core competencies. Yeah. Right. And so, you know, um, I, I think one of the most powerful exercises that an ex- a CEO can do with his executive team is to do an inventory mm. of not only kind of behavioral and personality, but communication sk- styles as well, right? Uh, one of the exercises that I take our, our client partners through is this idea that th- there is no perfect leader. Mm-hmm. And it's not about trying to be the perfect leader, rather, and 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 you know, the first set of questions revolves around uh, this notion that there are seven different types of intelligences. And surely, Anne-Marie, there are one or two of those intelligences that you are particularly strong at. Yes. And conversely, there might be one or two that you're not the world's greatest at. Mm. And if you can get comfortable with that idea, Mm. then we can actually begin to build a team that complements each other. Yes. And I think that that is a very powerful exercise Mm. to really understand the dynamics of, of what a great leader does is actually puts together a very strong, cohesive team of executives that complements each other. Yes, right. So and so, um, I'm a fan of all of these kind of personality assessments and behavioral assessments. Some of my favorite include um, uh, Jack Welch, um, y- you know, who was kind of a legendary CEO uh, for General Electric Company. Uh, he would take his entire executive leadership team. Uh, which was about like the top 20% of the company Mm -hmm. would take uh, to a leadership development camp in Croton, New York. uh, And they worked with a gentleman by the name of Dr. Herman. Mm -hmm. And they did an exercise called the HBDI Herman brain dominance indicator. Uh And it essentially kind of divides the brain into four quadrants Mm -hmm. and it maps out where you uh, generally operate under conditions of low stress and how you operate under conditions of high stress. Yes, and the purpose of the exercise really is to understand yourself first and foremost, but then also understand how you relate to your team members. Mm. And it's also a very powerful tool in in how uh, to build the construct of the most, you know, capable executive team. Yeah. Right. So, for example, if your CFO is very. Um, lacks visionary capability, which, which might be a very good thing in a CFO. You don't want them getting super <laughs> creative with the numbers, right? It's but fine. you might need them to be very process-oriented. Yes. Right? And whereas maybe your chief marketing officer or your person who's developing the product, product development, mm-hmm. um, you know, they might need to be very visionary. Yes. Right. Um, and so uh, understanding these things and doing kind of uh, an inventory of your different executives of the different team members mm-hmm. can really help not only to uh, at the beginning of putting together the team, but then also can help kind of uh, grease the social wheels so that the team can actually perform and work better together as well. Yeah.
0: So true. I mean, we've only just scratched the surface, but I, I remember years ago, because I come from the career industry. So some of the, the assessments that you talked about, I've, I had to learn because we mm. got certified in it. But one of the most, the, I think, one of the, the, the greatest gifts that you can give yourself is to become aware of what makes you tick what environments you do your best work in how best you communicate and absorb and others as well because I think when we have an appreciation of ourselves and others how they communicate we can become far more influential because we just adapt our communication styles to build rapport Mm -hmm. and then that's how we can uh, can work together and I think a lot of times people are communicating but they're miscommunicating because they don't understand how best to communicate with that other other person but we've just scratched the surface but however what you've provided today has been valuable i know for sure for many so what is the best way for them to connect you mentioned that you've captured a lot of what you've been sharing in a great book resource but by the sounds of it needs to be on every leader's bookshelf so share more how can people connect and find out more about the work you do
1: uh, so davecarvaholt.com uh, is our website uh, and uh, i think you can find everything there yeah uh, my company is dave partners uh, and there's information there about the book and and some giveaways as well.
0: Yeah, one of the questions that I love to ask people um, when they're thinking forward, and uh, you know, we're nearing at twenty twenty. When you when we're thinking about um, the change that we know that many businesses are now having to deal with because of social media, you know, we've heard the word di- digital disruption, and you come, you know, from companies in in tech as leaders. I think, you know, in, in, in a lot of those industries which are continuing to change, we need to be able to adapt and change. Same with the workforce, aren't we? I mean, the workforce here in Australia, we're talking about um, more contract ro- roles and I think, you know, the gig economy, those are also um, words that we're throwing around. From organisation point of view, thinking of 2020 and beyond, what are some of the things leaders as business, no matter what size that they're at, they need to be aware of and mindful of because if they're not even with recruiting the right people that they're still not going to be working at that top level that they, that we know that they want, what do they have to be aware of as, as change moving into the future?
1: Yeah. You know, look, I'm a big fan of, um, I I read quite a lot. Um, You know, I was able to actually take in 57 books last year. Um, And, and two, uh, actually one of my favorites um, is by a gentleman named Peter Diamandis. Mm -hmm. Uh, And he's written two books actually that are quite spectacular about, this um you know technological change and yes. and um it's actually accelerating mm. and i think what leaders i think what the best leaders do yeah. is um you don't wish for things to be easier you wish to be stronger you wish to be better i think embracing technology mm-hmm. as it unfolds before us getting ahead of the curve learning how to actually use you know look um, I, even, you know, like I, I've got 16 year old twin boys, right. And so like, I find myself increasingly doing as much as I can to learn from them, mm-hmm. to understand yeah. what the, what tools and, and platforms they're using yeah. and, and to get comfortable with them and, and be, you know, kind of ahead of the curve. And, and I think that that's, um, you, you know, both the reality, but I think it's also a wonderful opportunity.
0: I think so. One of the things that you said, and I think this beautifully um, relates to this, is as leaders, we often assume that we need to know everything. But the moment that we can be vulnerable and say, I don't need to know everything. But what I do know is I want to bring and surround myself in with people who know they have, as you've said, understand where your, your strengths are and maybe your weaknesses, hire for your weaknesses, get a good team around you and allow them to, all, you know, collaborate to the common good knowing the culture mm. and the vision and the mission. I think that's uh, fantastic. Well, again, thank you so much for coming on the show, Dave. Um, I loved our conversation. Please connect with Dave. Um, get a copy of his book because moving forward, I think, as he said, you know, your team um, is going to be what you need to really support. You want to make sure you recruit the right person in the right role. And for a changing, rapidly changing um, marketplace, we want to make sure that who we do hire are the top recruits to support our businesses in um, developing our business. So thanks once again for coming on the show.
1: Yeah, thanks so much, Henry. Thanks for having me. You've been
0: listening to Industry Thought Leader Podcast. Want to learn how to leverage your expertise, monetize your message, while become known as an authority in your field? Access our free Industry Thought Leader Podcast series to show you how at www.annemariecross.com forward slash podcast series. That's annemariecross.com forward slash podcast series.